Well, I remember um, when Marnie and I found out that we were expecting. Um, it was a joyous occasion because uh, we had wanted to have a child for quite some time and we had troubles. Um, and so when God finally blessed us with Sam, um, and actually with just even the news of Sam, we were ecstatic. And uh, you know how you are with that kind of news, those of you who have had children. Uh, you want to share with everybody, but you're also a little nervous to share it with everybody because you know that it, there's a weight involved. And there's complications and there's problems and there's things that could go wrong. And so sometimes you sit on the news for a bit until uh, you can't any longer and you share it with friends and family. And uh, it was a joyous occasion for us because we wanted to have a child. But uh, we live in a world where sometimes the news that someone's about to have a child isn't joyous news. It's difficult news. It's scary news. In fact, even when you want to have a child, it's still difficult and scary news. It fits into that joys and concerns category really well. And when we come to the Christmas story, I think one of the things that we sometimes do is we leave our imagination at the door. In fact, when we come to the Bible, we have a tendency to leave our imaginations at the door. And one of the things that uh, preaching through the Christmas season and through the Advent season that I found is it's, it's hard to make old stories and especially the same old stories feel new and interesting to people, especially the same old people who keep coming uh, each Christmas, right? And so one of the things I want you to do, and I think one of the things that the kids were seeking to do in their sketch was to, to place Mary into the real world. How many of you have a nativity set at your house? We have more than one. We have several. Marnie loves nativity sets, and she's got several. One from Mexico, and it's made of these little clay figures, and uh, they're not painted. It's all the same color, and it's very fragile. In fact, one of the lambs broke its leg last year when Dave threw a ball in the house. Um, and he's been warned uh, because you don't want to touch Mother Mary or the baby Jesus um, in, that, uh, in that set. And we all have this picture of Mary, the mother of Jesus, from nativity scenes or from Christmas cards or from Christmas carols. We all have these pictures of, of Mary, and it's, it's not helpful. Honestly, it's a lot of baggage. And so let me ask you to check your bags at the door today. Your bags about Mary. In fact, some of the bags we have about Mary is one of them is we're Protestants and we don't give her a lot of thought because it's all about Jesus. It's not about Mary. It's about Jesus. And those Catholics are the ones that get all crazy about Mary sometimes. And they have, you know, Mary of such and such and Mary of so and so and Mary of this and that. And we don't know if those are all the same Mary, but we we know we best not say anything bad about those Marys because we might get in trouble. And sometimes Mary is neglected by Protestants. Not sometimes, most of the time. And so one of the things I want us to do for the next several weeks is we're going to start a series on Mary. And we're going to look at her. We're going to look at her life. We're going to look at her responses to God. We're going to look at what she went through to bring about Jesus Christ, the Messiah entering into the world. Now, granted, God could have used any way he wanted. But he chose 
Mary. That just boggles my mind. Uh, One of the reasons it boggles my mind is because I think we need to enter into Mary's world. We need to see Mary for who Mary is. And we need to see Mary's world the way Mary would have seen her world. And so would you help me? Would you join me in seeing Mary for who she is and her world for what it was? Mary grew up in a small little town in uh, the northern part of Israel in Galilee, the state of Galilee, the city of Nazareth. And her town would have been uh, probably about a tenth of the size of Ray, two to three hundred people. Maybe 400, but excavating this town, scholars tell us that it was probably two to 300 people. And Mary, when the angel Gabriel appeared to her, (laughs) she would have probably been between 13 and 15 years old. So if you know who Bailey is, my daughter, Bailey's going to be 14 next week. And believe me, we know. We've been told several times. (laughs) And Bailey is right in that sweet spot, 14 years old, right when Mary probably received this message from the angel Gabriel. Being the dad of a 14-year-old daughter, that boggles my mind. That just blows me away that God the Father would entrust (laughs) the Messiah, the King, the Son of God, the one and only Son of God to a 14-year-old. He must be a little nuts. Well, we know that Mary was probably about 13 to 15 years old, living in a small town with news from the angel Gabriel. And by the way, Gabriel, according to the Torah, is an archangel. And Gabriel appeared only to three other people. Mary is an elite company. And this young girl receives a message from the angel Gabriel. And we don't know where she received it. Maybe she was napping. Uh, Maybe she was down by the river. Maybe she was making something out of duct tape like my daughter would be doing. (laughs) But whatever she was doing and wherever she was, the, the angel Gabriel appears. Now, we've become so familiar with this story that, well, of course he appears. He just shows up, talks to her. You've got to understand. You've got to understand that there was a promise made, and we looked at this in the last series we did on Father Abraham, the most interesting man in the world. And uh, could be argued that maybe Mary is the most interesting woman in the world. And Abraham was given a promise that all people would be blessed through him. He was given a promise that kings would come forth through him, that he would be the ancestor of kings. And time went on and kings came from Abraham and David became king, the greatest king of Israel. And he ruled for many years and he died. But it was promised to David that one day God would establish his throne forever. And there would be a king on his throne that would rule forever. And Mary grew up in a Jewish home that would have read the Torah. And she grew up going to synagogue and she grew up going to temple and she grew up hearing these things. She grew up with the hope that one day Messiah 
the king, the anointed one of God would come. And for 400 years, God has been silent. For 400 years, God has not shown up, spoken to anybody. And during those 400 years, the Greeks come and they come to conquer Israel and they reign over Israel. And during those 400 years, the Romans come and they conquer the Greeks and they conquer Israel and they rule and reign over Israel. And right at this time, when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, God has been silent for 400 years. And there is a great hope that the oppressors, the Romans, they would be removed and the Messiah would come. What a strange way to come. If you were God and you were uh, pulling the strings on this one, who would you send the angel Gabriel to? 14-year-old girl in Ray, Colorado? Or some powerful leader in New York City? Aren't you glad God works through small towns? God has not forgotten small towns, and he hasn't forgotten small, young people. And oftentimes we say that they are church of the future. They're the church of now. And here... Gabriel speaks to Mary. Let's pick up her story in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, uh uh-oh, i got to explain stuff right off the get-go. Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. And Elizabeth is on the other side of the childbearing year. She is old. And her and her husband have been wanting a child, and God appeared to her husband in the temple and said, I will give you a son. You are to name him John. And so we learn now that this is six months after that angelic visitation. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Um, when you read those words and you put this into the real world, do you hear scandal, perhaps? A virgin pledged to be married. Now, when we think of pledged to be married, we think of engagement. We think of this, this well, it's become a YouTube sensation where uh, people are asking folks to marry them in really fancy, crazy ways. The videotape that they put on YouTube for the whole world to see. It's almost bigger than the wedding nowadays. And you got to understand that back in the ancient world, the engagement was bigger than the wedding in many ways. In fact, they were all but married legally, save sexual relation. In fact, for them to end this relationship, they would have to get a divorce. He couldn't just say, ah, it's over. I'm done with you. He would have to legally go and get a divorce to end the betrothal, the relationship with Mary. In fact, this relationship was actually established by parents. It was established by the parents of the bride and the groom and the groom's family. Uh, They expected that the parents of the bride would provide a cost, a, a payment, if you will, for their young man to marry the bride. 
And so that's already been arranged. The parents have already given the dowry to the groom's parents. And they are officially, in our estimation, in our minds, in the way we think of things, they are officially married. They just haven't come together yet. They haven't consummated that marriage. But you also see something else that's very important in that. Joseph, a descendant of David. You see, this harkens back to the promises. The promise to King David that one day a king will come. One day Messiah will come. And listen to what Mary learns. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. When you hear those words, what would you think? What would flash through your mind if you heard, I am highly favored. God is with me. You know, one of the first things I think is, I'm going to go buy a lotto ticket. Right? I'm highly favored. In fact, I want you to think about that in the categories of finances, reputation, and family. If God says I'm highly favored, that the Lord is with me, then my mind with finances goes, buy a lotto ticket. Things are going to go well. The bank account is going to grow. I'm going to be taken care of. And not just taken care of. I'm going to live good. It's going to be the abundant life. Like all those Christmas commercials I've been watching recently. And in the area of reputation, if the Lord thinks highly of me, well, everybody else should think highly of me. I would think that my reputation and that my opportunities in this life, my status would grow and that people would respect me and people would see great things out of me and people would go, wow, there goes a guy who God favors. Maybe not like that. That's a little weird, but... And then in the area of family, I would think I'd be blessed in that. My kids would live long, healthy lives. I would live a long, healthy life. My, my spouse would live a long, healthy, li- healthy life. I would get to see my grandkids. And like some of you have, I would get to see my great-grandkids. And I would be blessed in my family. I want you to keep that in mind. As we go through the story of Mary, as we go through this rest of this today, You see, when Mary heard these words, it says in verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I didn't feel troubled when I heard those words spoken to me. Mary's troubled. Maybe she's smarter than me. Here's a 14-year-old girl, not saying much, right? But here's a 14-year-old girl who's smarter than me. And she's thinking, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, what do you want, God? It's kind of like, you know, when parents get buttered up, maybe she's thinking that. Me, who's highly favored. Or maybe she's thinking, I don't deserve this. I mean, God, you've been watching my life. You see how I live. You saw what I did last night. I mean, you know who I am. What do you mean, highly favored? Somehow this troubles her. She wonders what kind of greeting this is. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. She was troubled, and apparently there was some fear in that. There is some, and wouldn't you be afraid? An angel appear to you? You know, I often hear about Christians saying, God told me and God told me and God did this and God does that. And it's really strange because the scriptures, um, there's not a lot of God talking to everybody all the time. 
I mean, he does. Don't get me wrong. I believe God speaks to us. I just don't think it's as often as sometimes we say he does. One of the reasons is because I blame God for a lot of stupid things that I did in my life. Well, God told me to do this. And I look back and I go, well, God shouldn't have told me to do that. That was stupid. Maybe it was me was the stupid one. In fact, when I was in college, I was a songwriting major and we would write songs and we would almost always preface our song with, well, this is a song that the Lord gave me. And that was a quick way to make sure that nobody criticized the song because if God gave it, well, then it was above contestation, right? It was above criticism. In fact, it got so bad that our professor, he said, enough of the preambles about God giving you songs. God must be a really bad songwriter. Just sing your song. It's kind of like Tim Hawkins, one of my favorite comedians, where somebody gets up and they sing and they're like, God gave me this song. And his comment was, well, maybe you should give it back. And sometimes we blame God and we attribute things to God that God doesn't want any part of. But here we clearly know God is speaking to Mary because the angel Gabriel appears. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. It's like he needed to reemphasize that. How many of you would have troubles believing that? How many of you would trouble, have trouble believing that you have found favor with God? My guess is most of us. Oh, uh, you know, I'm just average person. There's no way God. God sent his son, Jesus Christ. I'm jumping ahead in the story a little bit. He loves you so much that he sent his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will have eternal life. He sent his son that you might be sons and daughters of God. He sent his son that so that when you were enemies, you could be transformed into sons and daughters of God. He loves you. You have found favor in God's eyes. And just like Mary, we don't often believe it. That troubles more people than it ought. And then he says this. Now uh, it gets interesting. (laughs) You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. You're 14. In the backwater town of Nazareth, does that blow your mind a little bit? What? The Messiah? I mean, think of it. Think of how Mary must have felt. The Messiah will be my son? That's not how we've been picturing this for 400 years plus. The Messiah will be my son? And... I'm sure lots of thoughts are shooting through her mind and she voices one. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. (laughs) She had had that little movie in fifth grade at school. (laughs) She was starting to wonder, uh, (laughs) what? How will this be? The angel answered. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age, in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. You see, you get this hearkening back to Genesis 1 where the Spirit of God hovered over the waters and this creative energy from God created all of the world, all of creation. And here you get this hovering of the Holy Spirit over Mary and he says, God will see to it. God will cause you to conceive. And then he says, if you don't believe me, remember Elizabeth? who we all thought was beyond childbearing years, (laughs) she's six months pregnant. Then he sums it up by saying nothing is impossible with God. How do you think she felt when she got this news? 14, Nazareth, town of two to three hundred. Here she is, a, a Torah observant Jewish young lady. Wanting to please God with her life. And she finds out that God's plan for her life is to conceive a child out of wedlock by God. Huh? This is God's plan for my life? You know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I'm sure this is not at the top of the list for most of us. And here Mary receives this news. And I'm sure many things flash through her mind. One is, I am a married woman. For all intent and purposes. I'm a virgin. I am pretty much a married woman. And all these laws from the Old Testament would have flooded her mind. One in Deuteronomy talking about the fact that an adulteress must be stoned to death. In fact, the the verse ends with purge the evil from among you. And it's kind of funny. God authored that. God knows that. And here God says, hey, and by the way, we're going to. We're going to change things a little bit. It's going to be a little crazy, a little bumpy ride for you here. And there's this strange law in Numbers 5. It's called the law of the bitter waters. Because there were times where uh, there wasn't a paternity test back then, and Jerry Springer didn't have a TV show yet. And there were times that it was in doubt who the father was. There were times when uh, the woman would say, look, I, I didn't commit adultery, and I wasn't raped. And everybody's going, huh, what? And God even saw that coming. So he created this law in Numbers chapter 5 called the law of, bit, of bitter waters. And in that law, if there was ever any question as to the, who the father was, and if there was any question as to whether the woman was an adulteress, she was to go to the priest. And the priest would mix up holy water and some dust and something he had written, a curse. And he would take that and he would place it in the bitter water. And she, with her hair down and all of her jewelry off of her, would drink the bitter waters. And as she drank the bitter waters, the priest would say, may a curse come upon you. As you lose the baby and your abdomen swells. And by the time of Mary's life in the first century... This law of bitter waters had also gotten to the point of public disgrace and shame. 
In fact, it got to the point where a woman would appear before the priest by accusations by her husband. And she would stand there and she would have her hair, uh, she would have her hair uh, down. And that was a, a sign of, of disgrace for women back then. And they would tear her clothing and they would expose her chest. And she would be paraded outside, probably to the, to the city entrance, to the gate, after she drank those waters. And all of the women in the town would gather and they would stare at her and they would scorn her and they would publicly disgrace her and call her Sotar, Sotar, adulteress, adulteress. I think these images flashed through Mary's mind when she heard this from God. I mean, she thought, I'm going to be publicly humiliated and ridiculed in my own town. I'm going to have to, uh, to, to tell my own parents this is of God. I haven't been unfaithful to jo- Joseph. I'm going to have to explain this to Joseph. I- I'm going to live with a son who the community is going to call Mamzer. Because his birth is illegitimate. And he will not be allowed into certain special gatherings of the assembly. According to the book of Deuteronomy, he will always be an outsider, an outcast. He will be a mamzer. And me and my son, our financial life will be hard. You see, I would imagine that a 14-year-old girl, she would never imagined Joseph staying with her. She never imagined how this is going to work out. She just thought, this is going to rip my world apart. Wouldn't it, ladies? <laughs> Could you imagine the, the stares you'd get in town? Oh, there goes Mary. She says it's of God. <laughs> yeah, right. God doesn't do that kind of stuff. That is contrary to his word. How could that be his will for her? That is the dumbest thing I ever... Why doesn't she just come clean and tell us who it was? Can you believe her? And the nerve of her to keep coming into here and to do this and to show up here. Could you imagine? The ridicule? She will never have a normal life again. If she says yes. You see, I want you to see the courage of this this young woman. I want you to see the faith of this young woman. So with all that racing through her mind. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me, according to your word. Then the angel left. This is one awesome lady. May it be. When she answered, may it be, her life was forever changed. In fact, I love the words of Scott McKnight, who wrote a book about Mary. He says, Mary, in faith, began to carry a cross before Jesus was born. Mary began to suffer for the Messiah before the Messiah suffered. And it's true. 
Mary suffered for Christ long before he suffered for her. But you see Christ's suffering. Christ's suffering was a great suffering. And his suffering was for Mary, but it was also for all of us. And Mary, I would say, with this answer, became the first Christ follower. She became the first one to understand what it would mean to answer the call to allow Messiah into your life, literally. (laughs) She became the first one to understand that, yes, if I say yes to God, if I say yes to Messiah, he might lead me places I do not want to go. He might call of me something I do not want to do. He might have expectations on my life that are not comfortable and are hard. She says, may it be. Now, how did she have that kind of faith? I know a lot of 14-year-olds. I know a lot of 44-year-olds. I know a lot of 64-year-olds. I know a lot of people who I don't think would have this kind of faith. I would put myself at the front of that line. How did she have this kind of faith? (laughs) You see, the way she had this kind of faith was because she grew up with the scriptures of Torah. She grew up with the stories of Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba. She grew up with stories of women who had gone under terrible hardships and horrible ridicule. And she grew up with these women and she saw that God was faithful, that he was merciful, that he provided. In fact, if you read Matthew, you see those four women's names in the list of women who were ancestors of Jesus Christ. She believed those stories. She believed that the God who was revealed to her in the Old Testament, in the Torah, was the God who would do this, was the God who would provide, was the God who would care for her. And so when she answered those questions, what does it mean to be blessed by God? What does it mean to be favored by God? And she thought through her finances. She wasn't thinking lotto tickets. She was thinking hardship. And when she thought of her reputation, she wasn't thinking sterling and awesome and wonderful and everybody will like me and everybody will say wonderful things about me. She thought, what am I willing to give up for God? And when she thought of family, she didn't think health and long life. And as we'll see in weeks to come, she came to see her own son tortured killed so what is it in your heart that you sense the Holy Spirit calling you to perhaps for some of you he is calling you into a relationship with Jesus Christ for the very first time and you have put that decision off because you're like well I don't know if I want to do that because then I'd have to give up that and this and the other thing and I don't want anybody telling me what to do And if that's where you're at, you're not ready. But if you're ready to set that aside and to say, let it be. And perhaps this is the day you cross the line of faith.
And maybe you've been walking with Christ for a long time and the Holy Spirit has been bothering you and on you and bugging you about something and you just keep resisting and fighting and pushing back. And perhaps this is the day that you just got to say, let it be. May it be. May it be to me as you have said. What is it in your life that your answer to God needs to be? May it be. Father, we thank you for Mary, for her example, for how amazing she is that this young woman had such great faith. And we pray that we who have so much more of the pieces of the puzzle in place than she ever did. Help us to be people of great faith, of courage. May we say, may it be. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you follow Christ. May you suffer for Messiah who suffered for you. May it be. Amen.